Ciao. Ciao. Hey, don't hang up. This is Giallo Ciao Ciao, the all Giallo show. If you even think of hanging up or leaving the room for a scotch, we will murder you. Now listen, Great Creeperson and the Phantom Eric and Chris want to take you on a ride through dark alleys and bright rooms, long stairways, and backstage at the art gallery. If you want to live, you'll don your black gloves and join them for the ride. Ciao, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Jallo Chow Chow, the All Jallo Show. I'm Creep. Hooray! Is Chris and Eric. And We're broadcasting from the moon tonight. From the orm. Yep. No, the, well, the, the yeah. moon is not orm the orm. Is footprints. Yeah. <laughs> Lay Orme. I got butt prints on my Orme. And All those Italian classes we paid for you, creep, and just down the drain. I'm telling you. Yeah, did I, say, did I say Orm? Yeah. Oh, and it's Orme? I don't know if right it's Orme. I don't know if it's So orme. is it is it Lay Orme or Lee Orme? Al, are you there? Hello? He's not, he's not there. <laughs> Don't you got him on speed dial? Oh, I, found oh I see what's happening. I found the soundtrack, so hopefully we're listening to it now. Isn't that weird? Like, if you're listening back, I just I just said, hey, how cool is this? I found the soundtrack. But if you're listening to the podcast, you've already started to hear the soundtracks. It's like some kind of weird, um, what was that movie where they were like in a dream within a dream within a dream? With the uh... me. <laughs> <laughs> You're really killing the magic here, Chris. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, and and we we should also tell everybody that this is um, the third one that we did in a row. Like, remember we did um, New York Ripper, and then we went right into the next one? we're staying up all night. Yeah. Yeah. All night long. Yeah. Um, And and this is episode number... 36. 36. Is that Italian? No, I think what, that's 36. More, that's more Spanish. Oh. Um, but yeah, so tonight we're going to be talking about the mysterious film Le Orme or <laughs> Footprints on the Moon. Uh, and we're also going to be um, talking about other stuff, I'm sure. Like, maybe this would be a good time to segue into my new hardcore addiction with Crossy Road. Maybe not. 
I don't know, but I have almost all of the characters. I just need the festive chicken to unlock Gifty. What in the world are you talking about? Is this some kind of computer game? It's like a Facebook game, isn't it? It's an app on oh. my phone. Oh, cool. But the, uh, the Amazon Fire TV version of the app updated, and my iOS hasn't updated yet, so I don't have all the new characters, and I was really pissed off about it over the weekend. And drank myself stupid. <laughs> oh, wow. You wallowed in, in alcohol while you could not find the iOS update. It's just made me very upset. It's awful. Well, you know, that's pretty similar to when I was playing Pokemon and I couldn't catch them all. So I just opened a bottle of whiskey and said, fuck it. Sometimes <laughs> you just can't catch them all. Yep. <laughs> I hear that. Yeah. Those damn Pokemans. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty elusive. Yes. Uh, Chris... You brought up talking about something on the show, and then you said we should start with it. Okay. By the way, I'd like to say thank you to everyone who got the Jalo Score Facebook page up to 200 likes. Thousand. <laughs> Let's not get ahead of ourselves. What's really, what's really funny is when you get to a milestone like that one, because it's such a low number, that... You know, you can say, yay, we reached 200, and then three people unlike you, like, a week later or a couple days later, and now you're back down under 200 again. And so, then Facebook says, you should pay to promote this page. Yeah. <laughs> or they'll just kick you off entirely. Yeah, that happens, too. So um, <laughs> our, our good buddy, uh, Brian, I believe, from the uh, group, the Chow Chow Facebook group, posted a question and um i'm scrambling okay no it's uh brian davidson who writes if you were showing a giallo double feature to a room full of noobs which two films would you show and this is quite an interesting conversation piece because we've had over 20 comments and we haven't had a, a thread on our um Facebook page that popular in a while. So I think it was interesting, and I think um, some of the answers and some of the reasons for the answers are also very interesting. Now, personally, I decided that Bird with the Crystal Plumage is pretty much a no-brainer for one of the two films that you would need to show. And That means if you didn't pick it, you're stupid. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'm, I'm letting everybody know right now that any other opinion is completely invalid. Um, no, and my arguments for Bird are basically that um, I think there are better, uh, there may be a few films that are better as far as um, the, the genre is concerned, and I also think that there may be some films that I, that I prefer over Bird just from a personal standpoint, but in getting somebody to understand what the genre is like, or if we want to be more specific, it's referred to as a felone, which is a little bit like a subgenre. I think is kind of how they classify felone, but we say genre here because we're lazy. Um, what do you guys think? I mean, can can you really not? Can you really have a double feature for people who have never seen a giallo and not show bird? It seems like you have to almost. It's like the you know you can't really show blood and black lace simply because it's really from from a 
you know, what we're talking about seven years, six or seven years prior to when the, the whole movement started. And you don't really want to pick, say, one of the other Argento films because they're really all kind of compared to Bird. And, you know, then you start thinking about Fulci and Lenzi and Sergio Martino and maybe one of these one-off films like uh, Solange. Um, although the guy who did Solange did another film called What Have You Done to Their Daughters? But a lot of people kind of put that in a hybrid category, not necessarily a classic giallo. Um, or even something like what we did tonight, you know, Brazzoni or Bazzoni. He did The Fifth Chord. He did uh, Footprints. Um, you know, so, but I think, I don't think that you can leave Bird out. I think it's really kind of, you know, essential viewing. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I guess my, my opinion coming into it, uh, maybe a little bit more removed from some of the people in our group and maybe you, you both as well, just because I'm pretty relatively new to it, uh, coming to it the last three or four years, really. And Bird was sort of later on, I guess, even though it was the first episode we did here on the show. I'd, I'd seen a few before that. And what initiated me or what got me into it were, and I, I think I posted these two, uh, Deep Red, which I know is, is one of those Argento films that maybe you wouldn't want to start out with because it is... Um, it doesn't have it's kind of in the middle where he's he's starting to change his techniques and things like that um, but I that's what really got me into I guess just the Italian mindset and uh, the the murder mystery and how it was so much different than American murder mysteries that I'd seen and then uh, torso just because of growing up on slasher flicks uh, that one was kind of like the the accessible piece that I could grab onto and ride into the genre and then uh, eventually come to love the things about about the subgenre that uh, we we talk about so often on the show the the beautiful women the great outfits the great uh, locales and set decoration uh, but I, I don't think people would really appreciate that right off the bat unless they just had weird sensibilities like our uh, resident creep here but uh, maybe there's people out there that that do like that stuff just inherently and they would really dig those kind of films but I think it's got to be, got to be something that's that kind of bridges the gap between America and Italy, for a lot of people, especially the youth, like myself, the young well, generation. <clears throat> when the first time I watched Bird, I didn't like it. Like it took me a couple of viewings to get into it, and so I don't know if if that was necessarily the first one I ever saw if I would go hey I should definitely watch a million more of these but <laughs> um, coming in like again the first one that I watched was Strip Nude for Your Killer but um, Torso was another really early on one that I saw and I think if you're coming from a slasher film and like that was the whole thing like my my wanting to change the question a little bit was if I was in a room full of people, I don't know if I could pick two movies that I was sure that the whole room would like. Like, I um, gave uh, $5 to an August Moon to my mom and had her watch it. And I'm like, this is more her speed. I think she could handle this kind of thing. But Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> that that but, film uh, is a little bit more of a black comedy kind of tongue-in-cheek kind of thing, so it's it's a little bit lighter. You know. And it's 
very awesome. Yeah, well, <laughs> true enough. Would you give your mom Bay of Blood? No, oh. not at all. But that's the other thing, because like I could see like a trauma fan really liking Bay of Blood or like, I don't even know if a Friday the 13th fan would really like Bay of Blood because I'm a huge Friday the 13th fan and I didn't really like Bay of Blood the first time I saw that either. So um, I'm just the big butt-faced jerk who well, keeps fucking everything's shit up. But Creep, but, you've, you've turned into a it kind of grows on me kind of Jallo fan. And I've noticed that over the course of however many episodes, um, the ones that um, you have an initial negative reaction to, you end up going back and watching anyway <clears throat> to, um, I guess, to just prove to yourself that you don't like them. And then you start liking them. Well, there's there's a bunch that I really don't like. I mean, Four Flies, Lizard in a Woman's Skin, um, uh, House of Laughing Windows, uh, another one that shall remain nameless for the time being. Um, Deep Red. But, like, what? Did you, were you going to say Deep Red? No, no. I just, I don't like the middle of Deep Red. I've, I've always liked Deep Red. But the other thing, too, I think... Argento's sense of humor A isn't very funny and B comes across a little strange. Oh, it must be but Footprints, like, the one that's nameless. No, there's a bunch of other <laughs> nameless movies. But um, but I think Bird is probably the best choice um, unless if like if I were saying okay, I want to show someone some Argento Jallo shit, I would probably go Tenebrae and Bird. Yeah, I think I come at it from some sort of an academic perspective, and I don't know why I do this. I, it, we're, clearly, we're talking about having a bunch of people sitting in a room with some some beverages and some snacks and watching a fun movie, and I me- immediately think, well, you know, um, you know, for the eyeball s- strip nude for done. this for the sake of you know um, a survey on Jalo films in the. Uh, you know, whatever. Like I'm, I, I feel like I'm filling out a syllabus for some sort of movie yeah. film history yeah. course, and I want to throw Bird in there. But my objections to say Tenebrae and Deep Red um, are probably for the same reasons. In that, um, I don't know, Deep Red. Uh, well, let me backtrack for a second because everybody's kind of talking about coming at this from a slasher background, and. I I don't know what it is about Torso. I like Torso. I think Torso is a good film. But um, when I make a top five list of Jolly, I never put Torso in there. Um, and it's probably because I find it to be more slashery than mm-hmm. Jalo. And I think that I, I prefer my Jolly to be more along the traditional lines or... At least something that's not so close to the slasher prototype. Like I, I don't put Bay of Blood in in my top five either, because uh, you know for at least for nineteen whatever it was seventy or seventy one that was kind of a slasher film too, um, and so I have this weird feeling about Torso because I really like it, but every time I watch it, I f- I feel like I'm watching it as a Jalo fan, and there's things that are missing for me. 
Um, meanwhile, with regard to, say, Deep Red, I came to see Deep Red way before I even knew what Jolly was all about. And so as a result, um, I didn't really think of Deep Red or I didn't approach Deep Red in a way that you should if you're watching it for its the fact that it is a giallo. Um, and that's partly because Argento had really changed the way that he made his jolly by the time he got to Deep Red. And um, I think that, you know, uh, maybe that's why it, it's, it's one of those things where I feel like you have to have some background before you watch that one to really understand kind of what Deep Red was about. Like, you know, on the surface, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a detective, you know, ser you know killer on the loose, uh, murder mystery kind of film. Um, but it also has so many different kind of things that are like reactions to the movies that were done in the past um, from like from an artistic standpoint that obviously are lost on people who um, don't study, you know, the films that closely. And I and I I don't think it's a bad thing that it's lost on them because it's it's a, it, the film's good and you could certainly show Deep Red. But if I had to pick Deep Red and Bird uh, between those two, I'd probably show Bird simply because it really ushered in the the time period. Um, and Tenebrae Tenebrae is probably the best Giallo ever made. Um, but because it's like what eighty two maybe, um, it just doesn't give you that. The other stuff, like Eric was talking about, where just that, you know, uh, early 70s, late 60s, early 70s um, mindset and the fashion and the set design and all that stuff that goes along with with yeah. um, with those kinds of films. Whereas if you looked at a film like um, Strange Vice or, um, or uh, Case of the Bloody Iris, which was the other one that I suggested... Um, yeah, those are like really just, you know, a, 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 um, a time capsule of what Jala was, what Jala is all about. So I don't know. It's a really interesting topic and I'd be happy to just read a couple of other suggestions from people. Um, let's see. Uh, so instead of being in like a room, like a party room full of a bunch of people, you, you picture yourself in like a tweed jacket at the front of a room like a lecture hall showing yeah. these movies when somebody asks me yeah i guess so i don't know like i've i see and i picture myself <laughs> in a room alone with one other person saying okay now we're in the dark and you're gonna like this mm -hmm. well because and, i know you so well and you know this is going to be an interesting black, it, this is an interesting discussion as well because i've tried to get this to happen with my wife who absolutely dis despises all of these films and I'm trying to find one that not only is accessible to somebody who hates these films simply you know she hates them not because she's watched them and decided she's hated them but she hates them because they're old and they're foreign and they're kind of stupid basically to the uninitiated you know, so when, when she's you, feeling like she's competing with them for your love. Nah, she doesn't. <laughs> she's, she's lost. She's lost on that one. Um, <laughs> you know, like if, if I'm if I'm in the the room where we watch TV and sh and I'm already and I've got a giallo on and she walks in, I have to turn it off. Like there's no like, OK, well, I, maybe I can just sit here and watch a little bit of it and try to get into it. You know, that's not going to happen. And so for the amount of time that she's seen one she's basically seen people 
with bad dubbing, um, with bad fashion, um, and you know, so I, I've been trying to figure out what is a good film for her to see that would be accessible enough, but still give her a sense of what Giallo is all about. And I think Tenebrae is probably Tarantula. Yeah, I think I think Tenebrae is probably as close as it gets. Um, and we haven't covered that one yet, right? No. Um, but then again, like I said before, showing Tenebrae really kind of um, shortchanges you when it comes to that 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 time capsule of of what things looked like and how things yeah. felt back then. So I'm still trying to come up with a good answer. Um, a lot of people talk about uh, Torso. A lot of people talk about, um, let's see, uh, Bird and Deep Red, Bloody Iris, Torso, Eyeball. Um, I, I still find it hilarious that you would show Eyeball <laughs> to the uninitiated. Um, oh, I love it. Sure. Um <laughs> Uh, no one, no one mentioned. Like a, um, no one mentioned Solange, which I thought was interesting because I think that was a pretty good film. But sandwich, had, but pretty heavy though. You know the whole what, idea what of uh, Solange. Solange. Oh, Solange. The whole idea of the uh, you know the illegal abortion thing going on, and um, it's like spoiler. It's like it's like which. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Which a cannibal movie do you show first, right? I mean, you got to show the one that's on, that's got the zombies in it because at least it's kind of silly. Um, but anyway, I thought it was a really interesting conversation. And uh, for anybody listening um, who wants to contribute, that thread is still going on if you haven't contributed yet or, or what have you. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, like I said, I'd like to do an experiment. So if uh, if people have more suggestions for a... Um, a female in her early 40s who likes to watch Sex in the City uh, and um, lots of other romantic comedies. What Jalo would be good for her? Bloody um, Iris didn't work. I'm all ears. Um, I haven't tried any of them yet. I haven't picked one. So you could do a Dress to Kill. Right, but Maybe I don't, that's not a Giallo. It's not really a Jalo. I mean, I want to. <laughs> Yeah. I want to do. I want to do that one for my for my website. So anyway, I saw it's getting the uh, the Almighty Criterion treatment. So oh, cool. And but so is uh, Ur- Sister Versla. So I mean, yeah, that's right. The shameless <laughs> treatment. I think it's Criterion. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I like the Joel Scott's comment on the thread just about um, just to cap it off. Maybe uh, he was talking about watching film noir and it's kind of along the same lines where it has all those he says all kinds of different labels that mean all kinds of things to different people and uh, he watched some landmark films that that originally grabbed him and then uh, as he began to understand the genre he writes he he found the pulp like cop hater and shack out on 101 pleasurable viewing but uh, he might not have really understood or gotten them if he had watched those ones first and may not have even continued watching film noir so it's kind of like just hearing experiences like that from listeners and outside of even the giallo subgenre and how it's kind of the exact same experience it's kind of cool to see did you guys see that video somebody posted with the girl dancing Uh, absolutely not 
from some movie. It was right around the same time, I think. It was amazing. And, oh, yeah, um, I see it here. Here we go. I looked it up. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. But I have to watch that movie now because that looked... Sophisticated Shake. It's yes, the, the it's, Sophisticated Shake thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was great. Yeah, like the Harlem Shake? Yeah, exactly. It's from a, it was a movie called Femina Reddens or Rydens. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, oh, it's what's her name? It's uh, Dagmar from uh, from um, what the hell is that uh, stupid name? Um, the uh, the Forbidden Photos. Sister of Ursula. Of a lady above suspicion. That's who it is. It's hot. It's good. Cool music. I gotta see that. Let's all just take a break. All right, we'll meet back here in three minutes and 41 seconds. Chris, you should just show your wife that dance. There you go. Yeah. That'd get she's her right dancing, on board. She's dancing around in um, what looked like boy shorts and a top that's, that purposely is designed to not cover her breasts. Yeah. And, and that apartment's badass. And she's got this highball glass, and she's it's really, really tall highball glass. Um, and she's pouring J, she's poured, she, now she just took the J&B and poured some in the fireplace. That's pretty funny. As one does. <laughs> as you, right. as this, one does. This is better uh, fire fuel than it is to drink. It's awesome. You should do commentaries, Chris. I should? Yeah. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Get get a hold of Shameless and say, I want to narrate your films. <laughs> and now we see a woman walking, and now she's walking <laughs> further down the road. It, uh, it would be... Oh, this man um, is smoking while, he, while peeping in on her. It's it's it, Instead of it being a commentary, it would just be translation for the blind who might be want to watch the movie even though they can't oh. see anything. <laughs> <laughs> That could be a whole new thing, like a whole new business, like translations for the blind. <laughs> I have a feeling that exists already, actually. So there's yeah. people out there who tell people what's happening on stuff? There's there's uh, software and programs that will translate and transpose what's going on the screen for uh, the blind viewers or blind watchers. I can't. Really? I'm doing this all wrong. How come I don't have that on, like, a closed caption button? I know. I mean, you think it would just be available right on your TV, but I think it's something you have to either download or purchase. That'd be rad. You're watching something, and then it goes, this is some boring-ass shot of a field. It's really long. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you watching French films? In the distance, it's a fucking dog. I think it's a dog. It could be a fox. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's like the uh that's probably like the the low cost version of that software yeah that's awesome it just burps halfway through it yeah and then the porn is great oh, I bet. look at the knockers on that <laughs> oh wait he's he's not gonna put that in there oh my gosh i can't believe he did that holy mackerel that is stretched Pegging commentary. Right. So, um, right. Leorme. Leorme. 
Yeah. I want to talk more about pegging. That I was gonna... <laughs> <laughs> like we like we haven't d- devoted enough time to that on this podcast. No. Yeah. Any more than five seconds is more than enough. So, so our feature presentation: pegging on the moon. Pegging on the moon. Um. So the 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 other two gentlemen have graciously allowed me to read to you, fair listeners, uh, the synopsis for. Uh, Luigi Bazzoni's Footprints, Le Orme, or Le Orme, probably Le Orme, um, which interestingly enough, Le Orme, I think, literally translates as footprints. However, Footprints on the Moon was the widely accepted English title of the film, um, and Footprints on the Moon is referred to as the movie within the movie, right? Um that the main character, Alice, remembers watching at some point when she was younger. Anyway, um, so here is the write-up. And once again, we should, um, we should plug um, Troy and his uh, part two of his book, um, So Deadly, So Perverse, which will be out in the summertime. And um, if I had that, I would read from it. So that's how I, we're plugging his book. Um, it's not out yet, so as a result, I will defer to Adrian Luther Smith's Blood and Black Lace for this film, since it came out in 1974, and Troy's first uh, edition only covers up to 1973. Alice has a recurring nightmare, which she traces back to a childhood viewing of a film called Footprints on the Moon. The unsettling dream involves a callous experiment conducted by a sinister organization in which an astronaut is deliberately stranded on the lunar surface. She is sacked from her job. We obviously have a British writer here. She is sacked from her job as a translator due to her extended absences, which result from memory loss and her reliance on tranquilizers. Troubled by a postcard she she receives from Garma, She travels to this faded tourist spot in search of answers. She encounters a young girl, Paula, who informs her that she looks exactly like Nicole, a woman who is apparently already staying at the almost deserted resort. Alice's search for the truth leads to murder and brings her nightmare into full perspective. Ah. So that is the synopsis from Adrian Luther Smith's Tome, Blood and Black Lace, the definitive guide to Italian sex and horror movies. So, what shall we say about this film, guys? I like this film. Yeah, I think we should warn people that this, maybe not warn them, but that I've had a few people uh, ask me after I I posted that I'd be watching this film. is this worth watching? Is this a film that you know I could sit through? Is this even a Jalo movie? And I just had to say, you know what? Just sit down, watch it, enjoy it. It's a trip. You're gonna. It's it's definitely different from anything you'll probably see within the subgenre, at least, and then maybe even outside of it. And uh, it's it's got kind of an identity crisis. I don't know. It has a lot of recognizable faces and names and even cultural aspects to it, but. Uh, when it comes to the plot itself and the way that it plays out, I don't know if you guys really can even consider it a Jello movie. I, I know, Chris, you wrote on your website that 
you, you gave it the title of a, of a giallo. It's, it's on the outskirts, but it's still within that, that realm. And uh, I thought it started out that way. I thought it started out real strong, looking like a giallo, her in her mod apartment and in Italy and trying to figure out what the heck happened to her those past couple days, trying to uncover the clues. And then it just turned into this weird psychodrama. And uh, yeah, it's it's just a, it's a trip for sure. Yeah, I mean, as far as it being a giallo or why do people... Um, refer to this movie when they're talking about the genre um, I think it's kind of the same partly the same issue that we had with Stage Fright which was Michael's, Mike Michel Suave's first uh, feature film um, and basically it's partly a giallo by association you've got uh, Florinda Balkan who was in um, Don't Torture a Duckling. She was in um, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Uh, we've got Bazzoni, who did, um, who directed The Fifth Chord. And we've got uh, Vittorio Storato, I think his name is, who did the cinematography not only for this and Fifth Chord, but also for Bird with the Crystal Plumage. Um, and it's set in Italy. It's uh, right around the 70s. 1974, and it's a mystery. So by all definitions, other than the American ones, um, it is a giallo uh, because the Italians really basically say, look, this is a mystery. It's a puzzle or it's a thriller. Um, and that's all we need in order to call it a giallo. Um, but, uh, you know, for anybody listening to the podcast who hasn't watched the film yet, is there a murderer? Is there a person who's going to be unmasked at the end of the film? Not really. Um, there's not a lot of murder. There's not a lot of sex uh, or nudity, which I'm, I know Creep is disappointed with. And, um, well, not when that's the star. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. There is a scene where she's kind of got this frosted out shower thing happening. Um, and, you know, that the weird part about Florinda is that her Adam's apple. She has. I. I. I'm not necessarily specifically attracted to her looks. Um, I prefer a softer looking face, but I, you can't say that she's ugly necessarily. You can say that um, she's got a hard kind of hard edges to her look. Um, there's there are pictures of her on the internet where she's where she's dolled up in the right way that she looks very attractive. Um, obviously she looked a little bit better in, um, lizard and woman skin because she was trying to play somewhat, you know, closeted, sexy, sex pot person. Um, in don't torture a duckling. Um, she plays, uh, that gyp the gypsy lady. Um, and we won't go into it cause we haven't covered that film, but, um, at any rate, you, you know, um, you're not going to, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it took me a long time to sit down and watch this film and everybody that, or every, everything that I read said, well, you know, if you like the fifth chord, the director who did the fifth chord did this, uh, it's the same, um, cinematographer. Um, and you know, you've got this recognizable face from other films. Um, and it gets lumped into this giallo genre. So I don't know what it was about this film subconsciously that I kept putting off. 
until we got to finally watch it for the show. I'm glad I did because, um, you know, having watched more and more and more of these films, I kind of get a better understanding for the genre as a whole and kind of, you know, um, why certain films are are on the outskirts of, of the, the the typical standards of the of the genre. Um, but this film, um, it it moves very slowly, and um, I compare it to the Psychic that we did, the, the Fulci Psychic, which also moved, I thought, very slowly, um, and had kind of all of that rap. You know, you know, the, um, the Psychic had a lot of like wrapping up at the end, whereas uh, this film it didn't all get wrapped up at the end. And part of the problem with the film that I think some people will have is that it doesn't really resolve. It leaves you with some some questions. Um, and uh, you're kind of left in a position where you kind of have to make your own decisions as to what really happened. Um, I like those kind of films. Um, and I, watching this, and maybe it was just the influence of the space uh, scenes, the, you know, the, the astronauts and the slow motion and the silence, you know, the only thing you hear is the breathing, but it reminded me of Stanley Kubrick. I mean, obviously it reminded of, reminded me of 2001 Space Odyssey, but yeah. it just reminded me of Kubrick in it, in its kind of starkness and its kind of desolate, um, at least in the beginning. The first 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, and it was really cool. Like, you know, if you go back and watch it a second time, there's so many clues that you pick up on that, you know, if you, you know, some of the clues you pick up on the first time, the second time you really, they really hit home, like how well thought out the story and the visual uh, things were kind of the way they were put together. Um, you know, I think that every kind of, I think that the story was very well thought out and I think that they really had um, the, the way that the story was supposed to um, resolve itself. I don't think they could have done it um, at, at a different pace. I think this movie is supposed to be a movie that goes slowly in as much as how much information you're getting from each scene. And for the people who who can't sit and, and, and watch a film that paces that way, and there are people that can't, or people that just don't prefer a film that paces that way, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I think that for me, when I felt that the film was starting to drag, I kind of just switched over to admiring how well photographed it was, um, and starting to look at kind of the, the subtext and some of the metaphor and some of the things that they were doing with the camera to kind of tell the story. I thought that the camera movement specifically was an actor in this particular film. Um, there's an awesome scene where Alice first arrives at Garma and she walks from the boat through this little vestibule, which kind of, uh, it's a really interesting thing. It looks like it's uh, some sort of a train station or a boat station, but on the other side, it, it goes to an open air town on the other side of it. And what happens is the camera is positioned in such a way where you see her and you see her inside the, the space that divides the, the bay or whatever, the ocean, from the land, and it's pointing into the destination that she's gonna walk into, um, and you can't see Harry and his car. And then as soon as she walks through the door, the camera pans a little bit to the left, and then the car and Harry sitting outside the car and doing something with whatever it was in his trunk with some supplies or something, 
That is all revealed at the same time that she walks over to him and asks him if there's any taxis. And um, I only noticed that on the second time watching it. It was like really cool. The idea that, you know, when you watch it the second time, you know that Harry is there waiting for her, or at least he's there thinking that she might come back again. And the first time you watch it, obviously you don't know that. So there's no need to pay attention to where the car is and where the camera is. You know what I mean? So I, that's an example of, of the film um, kind of really employing a lot of interesting uh, techniques to tell the story. And it's one of the reasons why I like it a lot, why I think it's a really good film, why, um, and at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody who is interested in Giallo. Um, I would have to know a little bit more about, um, you know, what they like and don't like. As you can see from the people who have already given their um, opinions on the film, some of the people on Facebook uh, thought it was boring or hated it, and some other people say it's one of their favorite films. So I think this is a love it or hate it kind of film, um, but I'm not sure. That, I mean, that's the, that's the impression I get from it. Well, <clears throat> I am on the fence about it, and um, a lot of it is because... The first 20 minutes are obviously very different than the rest of the film. But you have this, like, 45-minute chunk in the middle where she's trying to, like, unravel this mystery that at the end of the day doesn't matter uh, at all. Like, the whole, why was she there? Was she there before? It, it doesn't matter to who. To the audience? It, 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 it doesn't matter to the story. Like, like I mean, it, go, it goes to this whole thing where... I mean, I guess we're getting into spoiler territory here. Yeah, but, so, um, that's okay. <clears throat> basically, all... Well, before I say that, all the flashback shit and all the Kinski stuff was so cool. It was so fucking cool. I loved that stuff. And the, uh, I, the, the black I almost wish I was watching the movie that she watched as a kid <laughs> instead, because that one looks way better to me. It seemed like uh, David Lynch did it. Yeah, it was really, really weird. Yeah, it was. But, um, like, obviously this movie is meant to leave you with more questions than answers. But... When you're doing these mysteries where somebody goes to a place and they just happen to keep running into the people that give her the information to get to the next person by chance and by accident, it, it doesn't necessarily get monotonous, but I found myself getting bored. Like, okay, she's going to run into somebody else and we're going to tell her that she's in front of this place and that's where this happened. And then she's going to get some information and then she'll go talk to this person. And I know that sounds stupid. I'm being petty like that because isn't that what most mysteries are? People investigate stuff, but she's not really investigating anything. Go she's ahead. Be, just be out petty. walking you can, around. You can and be petty. Says what's that? I said, you can be petty. Go ahead. No, but it's just like, she's just walking around and someone's like, Oh Yes. You're on time. Here, I have yeah. your hat and shoes. Yeah. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Or 
yeah, you went with the package in that store that just happens to be right there. Oh, okay. And like, just like, but all of that stuff. I guess my, I guess my reaction to that though is, she's kind of flying blind though, right? I mean, she wakes up, she thinks it's Tuesday. It's really Thursday. She doesn't know what happened. She's lost time completely, and the only thing that she has to go on is this ripped up postcard. And she decides, you know what? I've been fired. I'm going to go to this place and see what the hell's going on. And so she just starts wandering around. Because the best thing you should do when you lose your job is plan a vacation. And do you guys know, like, I was trying to find Garma in, in, on Google Maps. I don't know if it's a real yeah. place. I, I there's, there's Garma in all of these, like, Iraq, Libya, um, Croatia. Yeah. But, um, it's I found one in Croatia, too. Turkey. Right, and when she first gets there, you can see some of the signage has some Turkish lettering. So yeah. I, did, I did notice that. But um, I was trying to figure out, like, how far she needed to travel to get to this place because that was part of it for me. Like, you know, she's on the plane and she goes and she decides to leave. I um, was looking for Hinton as well, the airport. Yeah, so was I. I couldn't yeah. find it anywhere. I couldn't find it at all. Like, where, what the heck? Hinton sounds like someplace in England. Yeah. But, um, yeah, no, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that hit me the second time I saw it, obviously, you know, you start thinking a lot more about, you know, what's going on under the surface of this film, uh, because that's what second viewings usually do, especially if it's a slow paced film. But, um, you know, she's obviously in almost every scene. I think she may be in every scene. And um, I don't know, it, it would be interesting to know the trivia on how much the director had a say in the cinematography or whether it was all just Storato doing this. But there's so many scenes with her in it and they're huge wide shots of these giant pieces of architecture and this tiny little, you know, uh, figure of her kind of walking around. And I know that this was clearly done to emphasize, you know, how lost she seems or feels in in her in her brain. Well, her wardrobe basically tells you that you don't need to put her somewhere. <laughs> okay. Oh, that was a joke. I'm sorry. I was waiting. No, I was waiting because okay. I know that you're the authority on um, what people wear. Oh, she just looks horrible. And in fact, there's this one shot. Since we're talking about, we you brought up Fifth Court a little bit. There's this one shot that was like straight out of Fifth Chord where it's like backlit and they're just silhouettes. She has the same fucking hairdo as fucking Franco Nero in that fucking movie. <laughs> I feel like they want, like originally they're like, oh, we should get Franco Nero to do this. I don't know if he's going to do it. We should have a girl in here. That's funny. Well, that girl has the same haircut and an Adam's apple. Throw her in there. Let's uh, get this going here. You well, mean the, the proto 80s mother? Dude, it was just... That Vince brought up in the group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what did you guys so, think of... There was so many, like, day-for-night shots, right? In this film? I don't know if they were necessarily day-for-night, but the the one I... The uh, print I saw that kept cutting back and forth between English and Italian dubbing... Yeah, that's the one Every I time too. it went into Italian, it got really dark. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that, too. And I don't know, did you... Um, Eric... You have the DVD from Shameless, right? Right. So were those scenes, did they have subtitles? 
they did have subtitles and i know what you're talking about like the quality the quality went down it takes a dip it looks like vhs that's been worn out quite a bit they did that i don't i don't know why they must just not have had any kind of english language track for that or something so they just didn't bother to touch it up but they did that in torso and in deep red too they tried to give you like the most complete version of the film even though they didn't have the soundtrack but the version that i had didn't have the subtitles that popped up when they switched to the Italian scenes. Yeah. And I don't know. It, clearly, they, they didn't. were really ins- inconsequential scenes. Yeah, I, was I, say, I mean, yeah, they're making it the complete print, but I don't really understand how it contributed to the plot other than to, to sort of keep it going along that she's kind of this this woman who's losing her mind and she can't remember things. Let me ask you this. At the end, I'm assuming that the title card at the end that had some sort of date and something like that. um, What what did that say exactly? It said that she was committed to an institution. Basically. I grabbed some of the key... I, I grabbed some of the keywords and threw them into Google Translate and it said... You know, it says... It says the year... Or it says a date, like a full date, and then it says... Like October um, 15th or something. Yeah, and then it says um, Alice and her last name, whatever that was, was committed into a psychiatric hospital. That's all it says. So you guys didn't get that that text at all no. in English? Yeah, it was... That's kind of funny because that that is was such the... I mean, yeah, we're, we're spoilers now, but that was kind of the biggest cop-out ending to me. Now I understand what Creep's talking about when nothing we watched leading up to this really contributed to the story and it didn't matter because it was basically all in her head. It was all just a, a, a photo play of her going crazy is all we were watching. Uh, nothing leading up to it really mattered because she was just going to be put in this institution when they could have explored that a bit more and, and showed, you know, she killed a man with the scissors and they they just tossed her away at the end like this crazy rag doll that didn't matter when they could have explored that, I think, a little bit more, made that more part of the plot Well, I read, instead of just that long middle. Well, I read one know. review of it and I can't remember what where I read it, but it was saying how, like, the whole time you're watching this up until that point you're wondering like is she like a part of this program was that really a movie she was remembering or was she a part of some kind of group or some organization and now they're gonna do shit on her and maybe they're gonna take her away and go ship her to the moon and leave her there and that's why she was on the run in the first place but then all that shit is like gone because it's just like, oh yeah, bitch is crazy. She's in a right. fucking hospital. Right. Yeah. And I wonder too, like, if originally the filmmakers didn't intend for that little scene to, or for that little bit of like um, prologue or like uh, epilogue text to show up. Like maybe they wanted the film to just end that way and people were supposed to figure out or make up their own minds as to what happened. And then the producer said, uh, no, no, we can't leave things like this. We have to give people an ending because people want to have an ending. So, you know, uh, I, I know that that's happened in other films too, where they throw an ending yeah. on um, that they didn't originally intend or wasn't in the story just because they needed to make it end a certain way for a certain audience. So, 
um, I, I don't I don't like that ending uh, or that little add on to the ending. I prefer to think that you know we're not really sure what really happened. You know. Well, let me ask you this: um, You said um, viewing it again, a bunch of things jumped out at you. So I'm gonna start. Uh, I don't know if I'm playing devil's advocate or devil's reporter, but I'm gonna start asking you questions, sir. Okay. Uh, and you you tell me. What's what? I'll try my best. In the butt. Now, she's in her little booth doing her little uh, translation thing, and some bitch down in the crowd staring at her. Right. Was that just like a paranoia thing because she's losing her marbles? She was starting to, to, you know, I think what the basis for all of this was is that um, this movie that she remembered from being a kid um, about people being stranded on the moon and them trying to find guinea pigs Co- in combination with you could, did you see what they were talking about? Um, yeah. They were the, talking about like uh, the like, few, like in, in 2000 there, the planet yeah. won't be in, inha- won't be in, in, inhabitable anymore. Yeah. Um, so my assumption is that she had a nervous breakdown um, and thought that, um, the people from the movie were coming to get her. And so she, um, escaped to Garma because now, her- did she really think the people from the movie were coming to get her or just people like that? Because whenever she had the movie, wasn't she asleep, like dreaming? Well, but she made lots of references to Dr. Blackman. Um, and he's just a character in the movie, but she thinks yeah. that he's real. In, in certain parts of the movie, but she, okay. you know, she, she escaped mentally into the Nicole personality. And, um, at the same time, she escaped physically to Garma, which is something that her subconscious led her to because she used to, I guess she used to live there, um, when she was younger. Um, so she escaped to a place where she was sort of familiar from a subconscious standpoint, but she, she took on a, a different personality she wore a different dress and she had a wig and um now was that a different personality or just a disguise to hide from the people who were after her well it's hard to say right because if she was really just hiding and she was sane then she would have told harry what was going on right because but she, she didn't know that was harry well true i mean we don't know whether she didn't recognize him because she was going crazy or because she was some other personality. And then when she goes back as Alice, she doesn't recognize him either. So, but that's probably because they're, they were saying that she had him, you know, you're, you're supposed to assume she had some sort of amnesia. So like there's, there's two different kinds of levels of psychosis happening at the same time. Right. You know, so she had a split personality episode, but she also had an amnesia episode. Well, I think the, the biggest, tell sign that never got brought up again was when she was getting fired and her boss said like remember last year when oh yeah and it got interrupted and yep. then that was that was it yep that that's a good one i remember that i'm glad you brought that up because i forgot all about that but like um i i don't think i remembered the earring the first time through i remember she picked it up and I remember vaguely that she asked her like maid or her cleaning woman about it, but then I totally forgot. Why the fuck does she need a goddamn maid? 
Yeah, the house that is, the place house was is nothing. so fucking like empty of yeah. everything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can thank the maid for that. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> That's probably why. <laughs> oh man. So, all right, more questions? You have more questions or that it? I mean, that's that's basically it, I guess. It's just because, like, whatever question you have, the answer anyone could say is, "Oh, well, she's crazy." Oh, okay, well, check. There goes that one. Right. It's it's uh, I mean, it's well thought out. I just think that the her going to Garma in the first place was to try to uncover this mystery about what happened the last three days. And then while she's there, then she starts going, oh shit, people are following me. Oh shit, what's happening? And then when you find out that she just went there three days before because she got scared and felt safe there, that just made it like very, like she was just like caught in a loop. Right. If she got away, she'd probably go back home, wake up, freak out, and get back on a plane to Garma. You know? And it's just like Groundhog Day. <laughs> like, I don't know. But yeah. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that might be interesting to think about is whether or not, you know, we're being a little bit more... Um, critical of the film because it's trying to be a little bit more uh, serious or a little bit more artsy than the typical giallo um, because well, I, mean, I, I, I don't think I don't think we scrut- I don't think it. we scrutinize these kinds of plots that this much with but, uh, like this plot nude. is obviously a plot that when they were putting it together they figured was very in-depth and very peculiar Right. You know? So, I mean, it's obviously something that they were hoping when people would walk away from it would go, ooh, thought-provoking. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So, it's provoking a thought. Well, there you go. What do you think, Eric? Eric's been about very quiet. About everything? Well, I don't know. Like, what, what, what are your, what are your two cents about this bit that we're about the psychosis? And, and, and two, it might just be me because she, she's doing almost the exact same role that she did in Lizard in a Woman's Skin. So it's that same kind of feel, I guess. Well, I was just waiting for you to give me the twenty questions, but if okay, it's here's the twenty questions, sir. <laughs> Why did you not like payback? And I want to know right now. <laughs> Wait, are we still talking about the uh, just kidding. the movie, Mel Gibson <laughs> film, or the? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is I, when we talk about Jello films on this podcast in the past. I think it's becoming more and more evident that when it comes to a kind of look and feel to the to the movie, that this is more up my alley. I mean, House of Laughing Windows is one of my favorites. Solange, and it's just kind of these more rural locations. I know this is not as rural because it's it's just in Turkey, so I don't know if that's insulting them, but it's just this lots of great open air uh, environments showing the landscape, getting her out of her mod apartment where she smokes her Dunhills, 
which I, I think my, my friend had those when he came to visit me. Oh, but, totally. I'm so glad you it, brought that up because Dunhills are like the Rolls Royce of cigarettes, right? Yeah. Yeah, he, he came to visit me from Portland. He's like, this is a special occasion. I'm going to get some Dunhills. And yeah. We hung out in my mod apartment and <laughs> smoked them. But it was just, yeah, I, I love the look of it, um, which you can't, you can't escape at all. It's just probably the best part about this film. But when you really dig into it, uh, like I think I mentioned that from the outset that I just really, uh, really felt like I was, like they pulled one over on me. A little bit. I really got into the beginning and how she was just missing three days of her life, and she had to figure out what happened. And uh, I thought it was going to get not, you know, sleazy or erotic like some other jelly films, but I thought it was definitely going to get get into her psyche a little bit. And they definitely did, but it just it seemed like it kind of was all done the wrong way. Um, I mean. I don't know, just I, I really like the, the dreams and the visions that she had. I think we talked a little bit about that, but it just felt like she was running around in circles. And as a viewer, it's like we always kind of want, want to know a little bit more than the protagonist herself. But I felt like we never got that extra insight. You mean, I mean, not enough to figure out the mystery right away, but just to kind of stay one step ahead of them so that we can watch them try to trip and fall and pick themselves back up and figure out this mystery. And I felt like we were just left in the dark so far into the film that it wasn't interesting enough for me to, to keep with it as much as I wanted to. And by the end, I thought that I was going to get this, um, this ending that was going to really redeem itself, redeem the rest of the movie where we were going to wonder, are these really astronauts on the beach trying to catch her? For this <laughs> weird science experiment. Um, or is it just going to be something else? And it was the ending that I didn't want. No one wanted it. And whether it was tacked on by some jerk producer or not, it was just uh, it was just kind of a, a cop-out ending, like I mentioned earlier. And, and Harry, I mean... They just kind of revealed that out of nowhere. It's just a lot of stuff that it seemed like it didn't didn't fit the story that I wanted to I wanted to play out. Yeah, I mean, it, it it's a beautiful movie. Like, there's no arguing that, and the architecture and the landscapes are gorgeous. So, if that's one of the things that you like when you watch these then you'll definitely enjoy that bit of this film for sure. Yeah. But there's, there's, there's some uh, other landmarks of the genre that probably stand out before this one does. I really, really like the premise. I mean, I think it's the first yellow movie to start in outer space. And uh, I, I was really hoping for something to just knock it out of the park in this one. But yeah, that, that middle with her and her, mom hair which I think was I mean she wore a wig partway through the movie but I think that that was also a wig because I think yeah, maybe it was the, the DVD copy I had the close ups you could see like the, the stitching where they put it into her hair and uh, so that part of it was just, just watching her she's, she's a great actress and she really plays the psychosis well but there was nothing likable about her that really no. 
I just wanted to. That was great at the salon. He's like, hey, you want me to do that light makeup? You know, it just, you know, made you look, you know, more feminine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's she so offended. I, well, I, I thought, too, that the interesting part about um, her performance and her character it, for me was like there were certain scenes where uh, out of nowhere she would just smile really big. Like, did mm-hmm. you guys notice that? Like, she, you know, she, for the most part, she's either kind of tense or pensive or serious. And then someone will engage in conversation with her, and all of a sudden she'll just be all smiles. And I just found that to be weird. Like, it just didn't, it didn't fit. And again, you know, it's, you don't really know when it doesn't fit if it wasn't supposed to fit on purpose or if it just, you know, if it was just something that, you know, I picked up on. You know, maybe she's supposed to be. Um, giving you this kind of character who's, you know, got these different kinds of moods that she can swing back and forth from quickly because she's she's crazy, right? So, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. Yep. End of the day, bitch is crazy. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> But Eric, that is a good point, though, about uh, being a step ahead of the protagonist. Like, I, I didn't think about it like that, and that is true. That's that's definitely an annoying bit. Now, when you, do you guys remember um, in Women and uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin? Like, did you feel that same way? Yeah, I think that's why that one didn't resonate with me. I didn't connect with it as much, and. It was just, it, it had so many parts of it that had the potential to be great. And whether there were too many cooks in the kitchen or something going on, yeah, it just, they didn't get realized that the way, the way, I mean, and this was done in the 70s. We've seen movies since then that have done it so much better. So it's probably in hindsight that I'm watching a lot of it, but I just couldn't. Yeah, I, I could definitely connect these two films. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think if you were to compare the two as far as, uh, which one was more effective thriller? I think this one is probably more effective than Lizard. And I think that's obviously my opinion, but I think the reason being is that Lizard um, maybe tried to be too many different things. And I think that with Lizard, they decided at the beginning, okay, we're going to make a Jallo, and we're going to make it so that the person who is the least likely to be the killer is the killer. And we're going to spend the entire movie disproving that she's the killer until the very end. And then we're going to explain why she is the killer. Yeah. Um, you know, and then besides that, they had all those different scenes with the hippies and the dogs and the, the, all the scenes where she's in the church and the organ is playing. And um, it's a really kind of trippy, weird movie to watch. And maybe that was the idea. The idea was that, you know... Um, she was on acid or the hippies were on acid or there was all kinds of drug references and maybe that was it was supposed to be a psychedelic like nightmare whereas um footprints is really supposed to be kind of a a window into some kind of weird paranoia or delusional psychosis um and so as a result you know the look and feel of the films are different that way but um they definitely kind of are connected and it's partly because there's so much time devoted to Florinda and her um, 
her and her characters. Whereas if you look at Don't Torture a Duckling, she's in it, but she plays a minor role, and I think that film's a lot more effective. And it, I don't want to say that it's directly related to the fact that she's got a minor role, but I mean, you can't you you, you can't avoid the simil, you know the, the fact that you know she's not in it as much. So I don't know. I was just really hoping that the movie took place on the moon or in a fucking <laughs> yeah. space station. That was the promise, wasn't it? Is that too much to fucking ask? I mean, really. I think you guys are really nuts. Like, I mean, I I just thought that, like, (laughs) 2001 with a killer and a fedora and a stocking over his face and black gloves, like, running through white corridors (laughs) in the future. Like, Jason X, but, like... Jallo. Oh, that would have been awesome. <laughs> just more Klaus Kinski, at least. At the very least. Yeah, just like every time it would show that shot, and then it would like kind of pan back, and then it would look like a TV, and then it would cut to him, and then that weird guy standing in the corner yeah. or something. We'll get him, Blackman. That was just <laughs> classic <laughs> stuff, dude. Like, I think if like everyone should watch this movie, if anything, just for those bits. Because yeah. those are so fucking good. Yeah, I think I read a review where someone said it looked like Klaus just did that while he was getting coffee off of the other <laughs> set of one of his other movies. And even if that was the case, uh, those were the standout bits from this film. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that, the, the landscapes we talked about, and then the music, uh, music is something. Good. Yeah which hopefully you're all listening to right now, but uh, just I thought it was subdued and it was um, just, yeah, it really played well be- beneath everything and and the, the classical piano. That's what most of it was, I think. But yeah, it was just very unobtrusive. But then uh, when the synth and the everything would come in, it was just a really cool 70s melody. The psychotic stuff is kind of psychotic, though. It was. Like, it's a little, like, unnerving. Which I guess it's supposed to be. Right. Because when we're all kind of going a little mad, we hear that kind of broken melodies going on in our head. Yeah, I really liked the soundtrack. I thought it was, uh... I thought it was effective. I don't, You know, a lot of times the... In these in these Jalo films, they come up with a main theme and they just play it too much. Um, but yeah. I think it was really uh, really. Dun, dun, <laughs> dun, dun. Now that one, no you one can... will ever complain about that one. Yeah, you can you cannot play that one enough. Definitely not. I'm gonna go back and watch Eyeball again. I know. I need to give should it we... uh, some more time. Just do another podcast on it. I think we should. Let's start like every now. thirty episodes. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's eyeball again, for the third time. Yeah. Episode ninety. It's the secret killer. So, what do you guys think? Uh, if you had to just do like thumbs up, thumbs down, are you ever gonna watch this a film again? Uh, that's see, I don't know if you could do that, like a thumb up or a thumb down, because like seriously. There are horrible movies that I've watched over and over again. <laughs> right, so thumbs up, thumbs down it doesn't necessarily mean you'll watch it again. 
don't know. I, I think this would be a thumbs down for me. I mean, I'm I'm gonna give it I'm gonna give it the second view that it deserves that a lot of these films deserve. Also, because I went out and bought the damn thing. But <laughs> are there if, any good bonus features on it? Uh, there there might be a couple interviews and things like that I haven't checked out, which I probably should have done my research for the show, but uh, ran out of time, of course, like I always do. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they've got the the cool. Tra- I mean, they got a trailer. They got the. I think there was a discussion, like a five-minute discussion on something, and then another like thirty-minute discussion documentary type thing, docu piece, maybe just on the director or something like that. So uh, it's it's a cool release, and I think it's. I mean, the artwork from it is the only thing that you ever see whenever you look up this film uh, on like IMDb uh, or Letterboxd or any of those other sites. So it's it's the ultimate release for this film. And I'm going to give it another shot. And I do want to, you know, watch it again now, knowing the the mystery and then seeing if I can find those clues that Chris was talking about. So uh, regarding a thumbs up or thumbs down, um, there's enough in it that I like and that I might recommend as a deep cut. So I'd probably give it a shaky thumbs up. There you go. A shaky one. It's kind of like the... It's kind of like a, uh, a, th- a thumb kind of wiggling back and forth in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And, and what about your thumbs, Chris? Yeah. Oh, I give it a thumbs up. I really liked it. So. Well, um, I have some other titles for it here, if you guys are interested. Nah. Always. Uh, oh. It was released in <laughs> America on video as Primal Impulse in Denmark... It translates to Nightmare Becomes Reality. Oof. Wow. Um, it was also... My favorite one is the Greek title, Kidnapping on the Planet Z. <laughs> <laughs> the Greek titles um, are always the best ones, right? to a very specific audience. <laughs> um, it was called Footsteps. Uh, in Poland, it was released as Lady... In Germany, it was the traces, and in West Germany, traces on the moon. Okay. Primal Impulse is probably the most puzzling of all those still. even. But it's so basic instinct and fatal attraction. Like, I'm sure it came out, like, on video here (laughs) right around that time. Uh, Right, yeah. They're usually a couple decades behind. Killer Instinct. Oh, wait, that's a video game. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah I, this may I, make a cool video game this movie yeah if you could keep walking where you're supposed to walk and scary little ginge kid is telling you like what to do uh-huh. she's hanging the, out with old ladies on the beach the old ladies in this movie were weird as shit oh yeah uh-huh. that, but that little girl was from who saw her die right yes. yeah and deep red and deep red yep. yeah that's right and then the blonde girl that she talks to at the beginning like him tells her the story that was the sister from knife of ice right she's yeah she's i mean all these actors i know she was in that and a couple others i can't remember right now but they've all got the pedigree for his yellow film so i think that's why this one yep (laughs) the same one seth rollins gave to randy orton last night damn it i mean oh (laughs) sorry almost made it 
<laughs> I think yeah, that it's, the, it's, the, 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 blonde, the blonde girl in the beginning that she calls after she loses her job, she was in Case of the Scorpion's Tale at the very beginning. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen that one. She was in that. She yeah. plays the, the wife of the guy who dies in a plane crash. And she inherits all the money. But she's not in the whole film, so. Yeah, yeah and, and Knife of Ice, she's the one that uh, is dead in the garage. Oh, yeah, that's right. The singer girl, yeah. Yep. Yeah, there's a lot of incestuous stuff with these films, obviously. Mm -hmm. And George Rajard played Fox. <laughs> that's fantastic I didn't even know that did you look that up or oh yeah that dog was horrifying right yeah I wouldn't play with that dog to save my life dude that dog looked like it was going to eat my arm well that's because you're used to your little ankle biters yeah but that thing just looked mangy mm. eh whatever I had a good heart <laughs> But it, it was almost it. one of those things where it was like, well, I guess it had a little purpose with the wig. It was just everything was so like, oh, yeah, by the way, here's your wig. I'm a fucking stray dog. Sure. I just happened yeah. to have this in my mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> See, did I come in here a couple days ago and buy something? Have you guys ever tried to do that at a store? No, should I? Maybe and I See if they remember you. Yeah. I didn't really find that. The choice of buying scissors, in, in sizes, in, in in and of itself is all that sinister. You know what I mean? Like, it's just a pair of scissors, and I, I guess we were all supposed to think that she bought them for some sort of a, a weapon, but maybe she just bought them to cut something. You know, nobody buys scissors by themselves. That's like, well, and then you like go to a scissor shop, yeah, try on different sizes. Like, <laughs> was that the right size? No, but give me the same one. Are what? you sure? Yeah. I like, said, yes, woman. What scissors? Oh, yeah, I remember that. But you just said, there. I said, forget about it. <laughs> that was a very interesting conversation. I th do you guys think because this, I, th I think I read that this was based on a novel or a short story. Maybe that had something to do with it straying from the sort of genre conventions and uh, maybe they tried to milk, milk that uh, the murder mystery part of it out, and still try to infuse it with a little bit of jello stuff. Yeah, because there's lots of discussion when you read write-ups about the film about there being murder, and it was uh -huh. really just her stabbing Harry because she thought that he was working for Blackwell, right? Or, or Blackman. So, I mean, Steve Blackman. Jerry Blackwell. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, All right. Boy. Well, All right. We, I think we've talked this one to death. Or have we? <laughs> we got to talk about the sequel. We need to have a disclaimer at the bottom of our episode saying that we've all been institutionalized now. <laughs> <laughs> and none of this mattered. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess it really doesn't anyway, but... Poor girl's nuts. What do you yeah. think? Yeah. Hope she's doing okay. Yeah. Hope she's coming around. So next time on the Chow Chow, 
we have a pick from Al. Yay! Yay! And Chris, say the name of the movie. All right. Well, I was I was gonna um, tell you all that instead of playing the trailer, which I cannot find, uh, uh, the only thing that I can find is basically um, the intro credits. Um, instead, I'm going to um, impress you all with my reading of the Italian name of the film, which is very, very long. It is called, well, first of all, it's so, uh, what the hell is it called? <laughs> so sweet, so dead. <laughs> but um, it does not translate directly from an Italian title, which is, hang on. Riva, uh, Rivalazione di un maniaco sessuale al capo della squadra mobile. And as far as Google is concerned, that basically means revelations of a sexual predator to the head of the squad. Nice. If you uh, believe that. I believe it. I believe it. Did you have to drink some honey before you read that or something to like... <laughs> Get your throat ready. I didn't know that Italian words were supposed to be so drawn out when you say them. <laughs> they the they are the when, when they are when you're trying to not make mistakes. I think. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm excited. Yeah, because I think you know we're going back to traditional Giallo land here, right? I mean, we've got a 1972 black love killer. Um, detective, sex and murder and nudity and stuff like that, right? So, should be good. I think we're good, yeah. I'm excited. Nice. And um, just so I remember, what was the third movie? The Bat. Bat. That's right. Motherfucker, I couldn't remember that today. Okay. So, so we need to come next week. We got to act. Yeah. Their choices. All right. I'm ready. All right. And we're doing, we're going to try to do some traditional, like, stuff, like, you know, things we we really wanted to cover but haven't yet kind of thing, right? Yeah. Mm. No. <laughs> no, we're not going to do <laughs> Nothing's that. Nothing's ever traditional. Right. <laughs> no, yeah, let's, let's try to That's fine. get some goods in here. Be that way. See if I care. I'll, I'll come traditional for you, Chris. I'll I'll come missionary. Yeah. <laughs> I'll I'll lay there like Florinda. I wouldn't mind laying on that blanket she was laying on. That looked cozy as shit. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I got one calling my name right now. Uh, you and me both. All right, guys. <laughs> well, until next time, everybody. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. I like how I start talking like this whenever I'm saying goodbye or hello. (laughs)